Amen. It's great to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. If you have your Bibles, turn to John's Gospel, chapter 17. And uh, we're going to look at that in a moment. It'll be on the screen. But I like it, and I'm believing more and more it's a good thing for us to carry our Bibles or our notepads or whatever we use today, phones, because we can note it and mark it and, and look at it later, and the Lord can use it to speak to us. And uh, you don't have this screen with you everywhere, but you do have your Bible with you everywhere. So, John chapter 17, while you're turning there or preparing for that, tonight you meant, you saw in the video we're doing a, uh, the last Sunday night of the month for the past several months, we've been praying together. Uh, leadership has been getting in, together and praying about God's plan and His hand upon our church. And so if you're interested in that, we pray together from 6 to 7 in the chapel and we would invite you to be a part of that. Also, in the month of October, um, we are going to be looking uh, at what God is doing and what God has done, really, over the past 12 months, leading up to October the 28th, which is our one-year anniversary uh, to the kickoff of our capital campaign. And uh, so, uh, we're looking forward to that. I I just want to say, if you haven't gotten involved in the capital campaign... We're going to be engaging people throughout the month of October. October, you ever heard of that month? October, and I would love to get you involved in the campaign. Um, a year and a half ago or more, in January of 2017, we launched this whole project at the end of prayer and fasting by giving the last offering of that month, which was a faith offering. We took it; it was fifty-two thousand dollars, and we gave a hundred percent of it, every penny of it, away. For the kingdom of God. And to other, even a church that was building a church. We gave uh, to six different ministries other than our own. And we did that as uh, obedience to the Lord. And I just want to say that we're not far from being, uh, having raised a hundred times that. Isn't that crazy? We're not far from having raised a hundred times. And I think that during the month of October... God's going to raise up some people, and we're going to come real close to that. And so if God lays that on your heart and you want to be a part of that, uh, just let us know. There'll be, we'll be giving you plenty of opportunity in October. It's not going to be fundraising all month. It's going to be celebrating all month. But, but the last Sunday of the month we will be, uh, of October, be uh, receiving a one-year offering, anniversary offering. So keep that in mind. John 17 is the longest and most comprehensive prayer that we have recorded of our Lord. He prays in a lot of different places. If you read the Gospels, you'll find out something. Jesus prayed a lot. And he taught on prayer, and he prayed. And we have some instances where we don't know what he prayed. Many instances we do know what he prayed. This is the longest prayer we have of Jesus, the most comprehensive prayer. And uh, he breaks it into three sections. The first five verses are Jesus and the Father, talking about Jesus and the Father. In verses 6 through 19, Jesus begins praying for the disciples that were with him, Peter, James, and John. And then in verse 20, he says, not only do I pray for the disciples that are with me now, but I pray for all those who will come after me, after this. And so in verse 20, he starts praying for Brad, and Ronnie, and Doris, and and, and Chuck, and Troy. He, He starts praying for Jim. He starts praying for all of us in verse 20. There's an overriding theme that is in 
this, what is called the high priestly prayer, and you're familiar with it probably, but the overriding theme is that, Father, we have this amazing connection. Will you give this amazing connection to our children, to our followers, and would you keep them in that amazing connection? And that's Troy's unauthorized translation of John 17. Very bad translation, by the way. Let me read a few verses. Let's begin reading. We'll just kind of pop down through here. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is a verse, verse 3, John 17, everybody ought to memorize. And this is eternal life. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's a great verse to memorize. Now jump with me down to verse 8. He's now praying about his disciples, and he said, For I have given Peter, James, and John the words that you gave me, and they've received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they've believed that you sent me. And in verse 14, jumping down again, and he said, I have given Peter, James, and John your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And then we jump down into verse 20, and he says, I do not ask for these only, for the disciples, Peter, James, and John only, but I ask also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you've given to me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. And then he prays, verse 24, Father, I pray also that those whom you have given me that they may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that, they, that you have sent me. And I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which the Father loved the Son may be in us. And I and them. That's a pretty powerful passage. As a matter of fact, that passage of Scripture would make about six good sermons. I'm going to try to preach one this morning and, uh, and not keep us too long. How many of you know that division is everywhere? Division is everywhere. The world is broken with disunity. That slide says politicians and roosters, not politicians are roosters, just so you know. <laughs> I, made a mistake, I made two mistakes this week. Uh, well, more than that, but two that I want to tell you about. But anyways, I made two mistakes that I want to tell you about. One is I watched the news real close. The second mistake I made was we, I was in Tennessee last weekend... And uh, we got home Sunday evening and flew out at 6.30 Monday morning for Toronto. And I spent the four or five days there in Toronto. And I flew to Toronto without my blood pressure medicine. 
You're talking about a bad combination, Gary. Watching the news with no blood pressure medicine. Are you, you seeing the connection? And my doctor who prescribes that was in the first service. I, he found out when, you, when everybody else found out. He didn't look very happy. But anyways, if there was ever a week I needed that medicine, it was this week. And if it wasn't so tragic and sad, it would be funny. But it's not even close to being funny. How discouraging and disheartening, not only for what is happening, but to see the utter loss of civility that exists within our country and in our government. Regardless of who is right, the hatred is affecting all of us. It's not a political sermon. They just so happen to give me a great opening illustration this week for this sermon that I've been preparing, planning before this. This is the world, though, isn't it? Isn't this the world? Isn't division the world? I, I got up this morning and I, I looked at the, the, the news headline, and this, this was the news headline. And I just took two words or so from each headline. Police clash, volcano spews, mother punches, spacey hit, Kanye booed, looters clean out. The world, the world we live in is, is, is divided, right? I know in, in, in several instances this week in our own congregation, I know of people who are going through difficult circumstances that the, it's rooted in division and animosity. As a matter of fact, it's, it's so bad. Yesterday, our grandson was at our house and he drove his little John Deere tractor into a pile of leaves and got stuck and our rooster attacked our grandson. I mean, we're, the world is so divided. I mean, why would anybody attack my grand? First of all, that boy's going to go into a bowl of chicken noodle soup real soon. <laughs> we had some that we we had some a few months ago that we we did away with. And my daughter and my grandson asked my daughter, "Where, where did those white chickens go?" And she said, "Papa get, sent them to chicken heaven." And yesterday he said, I think we need to send that one to chicken heaven. (laughs) The world is divided, isn't it? It's the way the world is. But you know what? Isn't that what Jesus told us? He said, right before this prayer, the very first right before this prayer, Jesus said, in me you will have peace. But in the world you're going to have tribulation. And what he says, and then he begins to pray, he begins to pray this prayer that essentially is, Lord, help my followers not to try to find peace anywhere but in me. And can I just say this morning, by way of just open confession, that God forgive me and God forgive us for trying to find peace anywhere but in Jesus. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. He said, but be of good cheer. We know we are Christians, and we know we're supposed, we're supposed to have this peace. And yet, we don't, we don't often have it. We have all this division and this, this stuff. And so my purpose this morning is for us to see the beauty and the purpose of God's people 
working together in unity and in harmony and in oneness. We all want to live in peace and harmony, right? We all want a little peace and harmony. And yet we find ourselves stressed out by the craziness. Let me just tell you this morning that division, division is the effect of the fall. When, when, when God created the world, the world was in perfect harmony. The, 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 the rose bushes were not poking human beings. They were, they were in total, everything was in total harmony. Man and woman was in perfect harmony. God and his creation, his image bearers were in perfect harmony. And, and, and the effect of the fall, we say, well, the effect of the fall was sin. But ultimately, the, the effect of the fall was division. Because when man... And, and, and when, when mankind sinned, what happened? God and man separated. God came into the garden and said, no, Adam, where are you? And Adam was hiding from the Lord. In just a couple chapters after that, not only did man and God separate as a result of the fall, but a couple chapters later, man and man were killing each other. Cain picks up and, and, and kills his brother Abel as a result of the, this division, this hatred. And so, so what's going on in the world is exactly the way the world is expected to behave. But it's not the way that God originally intended. As a matter of fact, the concept of God's people being uniquely connected and displaying unusual harmony has always been God's plan. God's original plan was that his people would live in harmony with each other. He put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It was a place of perfect time. There were no thorn bushes. Man didn't have to work by the sweat of his brow. It was easy. There was no, there was no fight against weariness or, 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 or work. Or it was no, there was no wrestling. There was no strife. There was no division. Everything was easy and wonderful and harmonious. It's the way God intended it to be. God's ultimate plan is a plan of beautiful harmony. Isaiah chapter 11 gives us a picture of God's ultimate plan. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 11 verse 6. The wolf, someday the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The roosters won't attack little children then. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. Holy moly. What is it talking about? He's talking about, God is saying, my plan is for my people to dwell in perfect peace and harmony. And there is coming a day where the beautiful plan of God will be redeemed and restored. Aren't you looking forward to that day? I'm not sure I'm going to let my grandkids play over the hole of a cobra. But anyways, the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is God's ultimate plan. In Genesis 28, after the fall, God had promised to Abraham and then Abraham's grandson Jacob, God says to him that God's restorative plan, God says, I got I to start putting this back together. And so God started this plan where he would create a nation of people and those 
people would be united and they would live in harmony and they would follow the Lord and they would be God's people. And he says in Genesis 28 and verse 3, God Almighty will bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you become a company of peoples, a a harmonious company. Jacob, you're going to be the father. You're going to lead and and from you are going to come a harmonious company of people. So this was going to be called, they were going to be called Israel, the people of God. And he makes this promise that he was going to be creating this group of people that would be in harmony and worshiping together, a community of nations or people. And you know what's interesting? That was God's plan. Now, it didn't work out very well with the children of Israel. They were fussing and feuding and fighting because of the fall. The vision got into them. And then God has a current plan today and where we are this morning and where I'm, where I'm bringing us to. And the current plan is that, that, that God has a church that is united and harmonious. As a matter of fact, I found it interesting. Genesis 28, verse 3, he said, hey, Jacob, I'm going to make you a company of peoples. The Old Testament Hebrew word for company translated into the Greek is the Greek word for church. I'm going to make, so Israel, obviously we know this, Israel is sort of a type of the Old Testament type of the church. And so today we have the church of Jesus Christ. And God's plan for the church is that we live in this beautiful, united, harmonious relationship. As a matter of fact, I titled this sermon, Harmonious Rebellion. Harmonious, that sounds contradictory, doesn't it? But what, what I mean by that is that the world around us is in disunity and division and strife and fighting and anger and hatred. And the church is to live in a way that is different from the world. We are to live harmoniously, united, which puts us in rebellion to the world that is divided. And the church today... This is God's current plan. The church today is to be this image of God's plan for his people. And so I say that this morning not because we have the vision, thank the Lord. I say that this morning because not because I heard the word somebody's feuding. I say that because I think all of us as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to know something. We're not identifying with this world this morning. We're identifying with Jesus and his church. Amen. The church is not to reflect what is, but rather reflect what is to come and what should be. Crawford Loritz said that this week. I heard him not in reference to this particular subject, but in in other things. He said this applies to everything, that the church is not to reflect what is in the world. The church is to reflect what ought to be and what is to come. And there's coming a day when the child can sit over the hole of the scorpion. And the child can be with the adder. And the lion and the lamb will lay down together. And the church is to be a place of harmony and unity and peace. And we're not to reflect the world. We're to reflect the plan of God that God has for his people. And that's exactly what Jesus is praying about. We're to exemplify the harmony that God created this world for. It's a beautiful thing. And listen, church, listen, listen. We need to know this. We need to know this in the midst of all of this hatred and strife and division. And it's political and it's, 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 uh, it's in business. It's in families. And, 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 but we ought to know this morning that we come together 
as the people of God, as the followers of Jesus Christ, and we are uniquely connected and related to one another. And being with the people of God should be a reprieve from the division and the hatred of this world. Amen? Turn to somebody you don't know and say, I love you. I dare you. Just do it. Come on. Don't. I know it's weird. Just say, I love you. <laughs> Didn't that feel good? Didn't that feel good? In a world that is fighting and destroying itself, the church should stand out as an exhibit of unusual love. The church should be desegregated. In, 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 in the New Testament church, every New Testament church was multi-ethnic. And the world was segregated. The Jews were over here and the Gentiles were over here and they called each other dogs. But when they came to Christ, they came together in the church and they loved each other and they didn't call each other dogs anymore and they cared for one another. And the world looked on and said, what the world's going on? You see, that's the church reflecting what ought to be and what will be someday, not what is in the world. And so it is today. We live different because we live according to a different set of values and we live with a different perspective. In John 17, Jesus' prayer, he describes the foundation and our motivation for this unusual relationship. And I'm just going to fly through these real quick so I can get to where I'm going. But Jesus gives us some commonalities that make us unite, that bring us and unite us together. Let me give them to you from John chapter 17. As believers in Christ, we have a common father. We don't have to ask, who's your daddy? We know who your daddy is, amen? They say blood's thicker than water. And you can talk about, and, and, and I can talk about my brother, but you better not talk about my brother, right? Well, did you know if you're a true, born-again believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God, then, then you and I are brothers and sisters because we are children of the same Father? Jesus begins this prayer like this, Father. And he describes this unique relationship that he and the Father had. It's, it's almost repetitive and hard to follow as you read John 17. He says, I and you and you and me and them and us. And he's, he's always talking about how unique he and the Father had. Lord, I want to glorify you because you've glorified me. And I've come to do your will and you're going to glorify me. And I'm in you and you're in me. And he's got this amazing relationship with the Heavenly Father. And then he does something really unbelievable. He says, now I'm going to Father give to you back those whom you gave to me and all of these who believe in me are also your children and this unique relationship that Jesus had with the father he brings us into it and now if you have if you are a child of God if you are a person who has been saved and given your life to Christ you and I are brothers and sisters we are both children of the heavenly father and how many of you know it matters more who your father is than it does who your president is Oh, that was a good one. Amen. And I love you because you're a child of the same Father. I love you because we are united by our Heavenly Father. And he said, he goes down and tells us and gives us this list of, uh, of reflection on how God has brought us in. He said in verse 3, that eternal life is that they know you, the only true God. Verse 6 these are the people whom you gave me. Yours they, are, they were. Verse 9, for those who you have given me are yours. Verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine. Verse 11, I'm coming to ask you, Father, to keep your own children in this world. 
Verse 21, that they also might be in us. This whole prayer is predicated upon Christ and his heavenly Father unfolding and fulfilling the work that they had determined to do before the foundation of the world that would allow us to be in their family. And if you're a Christian this morning, it doesn't, that, that's not a reference to your denomination or to your religious practice. It is a re- reference to your relationship to God and a reference to your relationship with me. So guess what? The world's fighting, feuding, fussing. We come together and we love one another and we care for one another, not because we all like Virginia Tech. Oh, he said, I was waiting on that, amen. Or not because we all like some football team. Or not even because we all vote the same way. But we are united because we're children of the same father. Amen. And, and, and this is, I think, important for us to know and to hear. As a believer, we're now part of the family of God. Jesus taught us to pray, our father who art in heaven. Every true Christian is uniquely connected to other believers because we have a common father. Your dad and my dad are the same guy, if I can refer to it in a casual way like that. But secondly, we experience unusual harmony in this divided world as Christians because as believers in Christ, we have a common faith. We have a common faith. Jesus' conversation with the Father is really about his entire work on earth to that point and that which would soon take place on the cross. It was his work of obedience to the Father that would allow us those who put their faith in Jesus Christ to have hope and eternal life. He said, this is life eternal that they may know the Father and they may know Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Verse 6 says, I have manifested your name to the people. And then Jesus describes the acts of faith of all those who will believe in his family. He says, they have received your word in verse 7. Verse 8, they have believed your word. Verse 6, they have kept your word. And I also ask for those who will believe in me, Jesus says. And you want to know why we're united this morning? Because all of us came somewhere and some point in our life as sinners that were aware of our own eternal destiny that was going to be a place of punishment. And we knelt humbly at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we said, Jesus, forgive me and come into my life. And God, for Christ's sake, washed our sins away, gave us the Holy Spirit, and our faith in Christ is what unites us this morning. Amen? This is, this is, oh, I, I tell you, I needed this. My blood pressure medicine was gone. I needed to know this morning that I had people. Hey, did you know our future is not dependent on anything that happens? And I have my opinions, and most of you know what they are. Amen? But you know, our, my future is not dependent on that. My future and my 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 my. My peace should not be connected to that. Did you know that these boys were being arrested and put in jail and prison and beaten and tortured and hung upside down and burned in barrels of oil? All of that was going on. That was the political culture of the rest of their life. But they had a peace in Christ because they were united by the fact that they had a common father and that they had a common faith. And they knew that Jesus Christ was truly the Son of God who would truly and for sure redeem them, not only in this life, but in the life to come. 
we should experience unusual harmony in this divided world because as believers in Christ, we have a common foe. There's an ancient proverb that it was sort of a, it was sort of a military philosophy, I think in World War II and other times. I think somebody dated all the way back to the 4th century, but I think Reagan, I thought it was a Reagan quote when I looked it up this week because I heard Reagan say it. But he, Reagan said, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You remember ever hearing that? I found out that was an ancient proverb that was used in World War II. It was a philosophy of war, a war philosophy of war. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Did you know that Satan hates you and 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 the world's not your friend or your friend or your friend or your friend and the world's not my friend. We're all against Satan, so that way, that way we're united. Jesus said in, in chapter uh, 17, verse 14, he said, Father, these, these men are not of the world. Therefore, the world hates them. And he said, I don't want you to take them out of the world. But I want you to keep them from the evil one. We are united this morning because we have the same foe. Ephesians chapter 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. I heard a guy quote that this week up in Toronto. You know what he said? He said, the plain Jane translation of that is, people, not your problem. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Here's the deal. We know that Satan is out to destroy us. And a lot of this, a lot of this noise that we see and hear in this world is nothing more than the outplaying of the, of the work of, of, of Satan. And, and, and Satan wants nothing more than to get into the church. And you know what the work of Satan is in the church? And I, I've never really seen this until this week. He says, Lord, I, Father, I pray that you keep them from the evil one. That to me is, I don't let us get this or that or whatever. No, he's really praying, keep them from the evil one because the evil one wants to get in divide. Numbers of times, six or seven times, Jesus prays in this prayer, Lord, would you help them be one? 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 Would you help them? But don't let the evil one get in because the evil one gets in, he'll make them two or four or six or eight. Lord, help them be one. Help them to stay united. You see, we're united by a common foe. As believers, Satan is out to destroy us. Often his destruction comes through division. The world is not friendly to believers in Christ. Since when did we expect that the world was going to be our best friend and do everything we wanted them to do? Jesus said, in the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In me you'll have peace, not in the world. We're not to be isolated from the world, but insulated from the world. I don't know who made that quote, but I've had it, and I can't find out who said it. So after a couple more times, I'll just claim it. We're not to be isolated from the world. We're to be insulated. Jesus said, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. But I pray that you would leave them in the world. But you would insulate them and keep them from the evil one getting in on them. Amen. There's some days I'd like to go down there, Gary, and put a 40-foot wall around that 162 acres. Put a big old garden. And get all of us there, sing Kumbaya every night around the fireplace. And not have any internet or any television and just sit down there and, you know, ride four-wheelers, fish in the pond, shoot skeet, you know. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? I'm a psycho. (laughs) No, Jesus said, I don't want you to come out of the world. I want you to be in the world, but not of the world. I want you to do like all of you are doing. Business, work, politics, you're in the world. 
We're to be in the, we're just not to be of the world. Amen. But you see, we're united this morning because we have, we have the same foe. As believers in Christ, we are united because we have a common future. In verse 24, Jesus begins praying that the Father will, at some point in time, allow us who believe on Him to behold His glory and then to dwell with Him in glory. What's going to happen this week? I don't know. What's going to happen next year? I don't know. What's going to happen with the midterm? I don't know. I got my ideas. I'm praying a certain way, but I don't know. But I, let me tell you what I do know is going to happen. That if you trust in the Lord and your faith is in Jesus Christ, that a hundred years from now, every single person in this room, if we've trusted in the, we're going to be celebrating in the glory and the blessing of heaven for all eternity. Amen. And you know something? Listen, listen, church, we need to be encouraged with this. We need to be encouraged with this because the world drags us down. Amen. And, the, and, and quite honestly, the world's system, the evil one, the evil one gets in. And if we're not careful, we let things that are inferior to the truth of God divide and, and, and discourage and frustrate the work of God. When, when we're not of this world, we're not of this world. I love you, Brian, because you have the same dad that I have. We, we have the same faith in Christ. We're fighting the same enemy. He wants to destroy my family. wants to destroy your family. And we're going to the same place. Amen. And we're going to get along by the grace of God. The ultimate goal of our relationship with Jesus is that we be with him and see his jaw-dropping glory. Isn't that going to be great? And this is what he prayed for. And as believers in Christ, we have a common fellowship. Verse 26, he says, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. Listen, listen, listen. That the love with which you have loved me, the love that God had for Jesus, the love that you love me will be in them. Think about that. Jesus prayed that the love that the Father had for Jesus, which was pretty huge, that God the Father would put that love in us. And so we love each other, and we care for each other, and we look out for one another, and we realize this world is not our home, and the world's going crazy all around us. It's okay. We're going to pray. We're going to do our things as Christians, as citizens of this country. We're going to do the best we can, but I want to tell you something. I'm not going to let that determine my destiny, my personality, my attitude, and so on, and so on, and so on. Listen, church, there's a lot of people in the church of Jesus Christ, but just for the imagery this morning, the world's out there, and we're in here, and it's really good to know that we belong to a different world, isn't it? And we need each other. We need each other. You see, when when the church lives out what ought to be and not what is, three things happen. Let me give them to you as I close. Number one, When the church lives it out, we experience unusual love, strength, and safety. Then the church becomes a place where we find help and grace and strength and comfort and encouragement. And when we walk through the battles and the challenges of life, our brothers and sisters in Christ walk with us. As a matter of fact, the early church, one of the things that was so remarkable in the early church 
was that in the years following uh, the, the first century, in those first couple centuries, the church grew because people couldn't figure out why they treated each other so well and how they had so much joy when things were difficult. When we, are, when we are unified, the lost are attracted to our unique relationship. And the kids are going to come in here in just a second. So I want the kid. Come on in, Sean. I don't know if you can hear me. Come on in. When, when, when the church is united. Come on in, guys. Just come over here and stand right over here by Pastor Troy. The lost are attracted to our unique relationship. The world looks on and says, what's going on? How, 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 do they, how do they love each other like that? Do you think the world needs a reprieve from the crud that's going on around us? They ought to be able to look at the church and see that reprieve. Amen. Great group of kids. How you guys doing? And when the church is united, when the church is united, God gets the glory. Amen? God gets, over and over again, Jesus declared it like this. Father, would you help them to be one as we are one, so that the world may know. So that the world may know that you have sent me. Jesus said, this is how the world's going to know that you're my disciples. How? That you have loved one for another. One final commonality God has given us as a visible reminder. Jesus, on the last night, just shortly after this, Jesus was with his disciples. And he said, I want to tell you, I want to tell you what this is going to be like. The world's out there, they're fighting and feuding, and they're getting ready to take me down for a moment. Jesus took the the bread and he began to break it. He said, Guys, this is my body which is broken for you. And I'm going to be out of here in a little while. But I want you guys to do this. And I want all the believers to come around when you're together. As often as you do this. I want you to come around. And I want you to break bread together. And I want you to remember that I I broke my body for you. And in communion, we, we restore our vertical relationship with God. We identify with His death. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. And I want you to come together and I want you to drink this. And as you drink it, I want you to remember that I shed my blood for you. And not only is it a vertical relationship, but when we come to the table this morning, or when we come to the table as Christians, we come not only to restore this relationship, but to affirm this relationship. And so I'm sharing from the same bread as Brad and Ronnie and Doris Mitch and Michelle. I'm sharing and we're taking because we've all been partakers of the goodness of God. And you know what? If we, if the church ever needed, if the church ever needed, ever needed to be a place that the world could look and say, wow, that's different. It's September the 30th, 2018. Amen. So I want us to bow our heads. We're going to pray quickly and then we're going to stand. And what I want you to do is I want you to file, the center section will file past here. The back row will go that way. The ushers will show you. The back four or five or six rows will go that way. The ushers will tell you. The rest of you will come forward. Same on these sides. Take the elements to your seat, and then we'll receive them when we get back to our seat. Would you stand with me and pray? Kids, you can go find your parents. Kids, I brought the kids in here. I wanted the kids to take communion with us.
Because the church should be desegregated. How many believe that? Amen. So Lord Jesus, we just thank you and we praise you. We thank you and we praise you, oh God. That we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the united body of Christ. And so we come this morning to receive of your body and of your blood. And we come in humility and confession. And we come in faith, oh God, saying thank you for the cross. Thank you for your work. We ask, oh God, that you would work in us. Lord, if there's anyone that's not united with you, maybe in this moment it would be a time of confession and repentance. And Lord, they would ask you to cleanse and forgive them and they would be united with you. Lord, if there's any that are not united with others, may this would be the moment that we would be united and we would understand that there is something exceptional and unique about the connection that we have as the children of God and brothers and sisters in Christ. Make this a unifying moment, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at Eastlake SML. Thanks for joining us.